Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to a bonus episode titled Dealing with Difficult Family Members. Hey everyone, it's Mandy. It has been a long time since I've offered a Q&A bonus episode and I just wanted to say thank you for your patience. <laughs> Everything has been pretty up in the air the last six months and so the bonus podcast episodes have taken a back seat. And I know you can understand that. You're here because you're also grieving and experience a lot of overwhelm. But this week I got a conversation uh, going with a friend who had a really common question and I just wanted to unpack it with you. So here we go. We're going to talk about boundaries. Yay! Boundaries with our loved ones when they're grieving and when we are grieving too. So my friend posed the question to me about a family member who has been grieving for nearly a decade. Nothing new um, that they have seen, no, you know, deaths that they're aware of have happened in this family member's life. Um, But the one that did happen nearly a decade ago was pretty significant, very close family member. And their perception of what has happened in this relationship, this is an extended family member, um, that is that they've lost connection. They have recognized a hardening in this person. They've recognized some abusive language, some really unkind behavior. Um, There have been some strong boundaries that have been put in place by this person non-verbally and verbally, but without that clear boundary language around expectations of how we want to be treated and how we will accept relationship in our lives, more aggressive and accusatory style boundaries of don't you ever and stay the hell away kind of things. Um, So my friend came to me and just said, hey, how do I do this? What do I do? I'm at a loss. I've lost access to my other family members because of this person. Um, That other family members want relationship and have been told no you can't connect because of a hundred reasons, right? Um, And my friend is really upset, understandably, and really pissed off and really accusatory and very helpless feeling, really just at the point of like, what do I do besides pray? Like, can I do anything? How do I help my family members? How do I help myself? How do I treat this person well and not disrespect them, but also like recognize, hey, you're not treating us well. You're disrespecting us, right? common questions. I imagine that someone is coming to mind. (laughs) I know that someone came to mind for me uh, when this conversation started. And so I wanted to unpack this a little bit. This is just a me talking conversation. So it's not scripted. If it feels a little bit disjointed, just stay with me. Grief is disjointed. Uh, Okay. So my first reaction to my friend was, what do you want? It's one of my first questions for most people who approach with grief work. So if ever you catch yourself lamenting out loud or wondering aloud, what can I do? What do I have? How do I offer myself or them compassion or anything in this season? Ask the question, what do you want? What do you actually want from the relationship from an, as an answer to that question, what do I do? What's possible for you? So in this instance, my friend responded, well, what I want is to know that my friend, my family members are okay. I want access to my family members. I want my hurt family member to find healing. And these were all valid responses, right? But how many of them are actually in our control as individuals? 
right? We can't control the healing our family members or loved ones experience. We can't control whether or not we have access to someone on their terms, right? Only on our terms. And we can't control whether or not someone else's experience of us is positive because they might have something hanging over their head, right? There might be something in the way keeping us from being a part of that relationship more fully, more intentionally. And so my question after she said, well, this is what I want was, okay, how are you positioned toward that person? How are you positioned in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your body toward the person that has caused you pain? Are you positioned aggressively, right? Are your fists up? When you imagine them, what happens in your body? Is your body telling you, fight, this is danger? Your sympathetic nervous system starts going haywire and recognizing there has been harm here and we clench, we tighten, we bite our jaw together, we start getting headaches, maybe we even get a little dizzy or cross-eyed. All those angry rants and thoughts come back to mind. The memories of mistreatment come to mind. We have a big lived experience bucket to pull on that our body is going to start manifesting. And so when we first begin thinking about how we can move toward this person, we have to consider, well, how have we moved toward them or away from them in the past? And how does that influence what I'm saying right now? So my friend's response to that was, um, well, yeah, they're not safe for me and they're mean and they call me names. And so in my body right now, I'm noticing clenching. My fists are tight. My breath has shallowed. I am not happy at the thought of dealing with them. So of course there's a lot to that, right? And I'm not going to get into that now. But what I asked then next was, okay, with that in mind, before you ever start to set a boundary, start an outreach, start a connection point, before you ever approach this person, the family members around them that you want access to, or anyone else involved, you have to address what is going on in your body first. Because if you show up in a relationship where there is conflict, regardless of grief, right? Regardless of if there is grief present, because we know there is, but we're going to say regardless if there is or isn't, we have to be in a open ventral vagal state where we are not looking for threats or ways to escape. We have to give ourselves the opportunity first to regulate our energy to regulate our own nervous systems so that when we decide we have capacity to approach, we are not ready to explode at the first thing they say. It's kind of like that adage, don't go to sleep when you're angry in a marriage, which is ridiculous. Absolutely go to sleep if you're angry because a lot of the times when you're angry, you're going to say something out of anger and out of self-protection that deepens the, the trauma and deepens the disconnection between you, right? Same thing is true here. We can set boundaries for ourselves, but if we do it from a state of self-protection and hurt, we're not doing it from alignment with our values and what we actually want on the other side. We're doing it from that base need of self-protection and safety of feeling non-threatened, feeling undisrupted. And that can send us into a pattern that we've experienced over and over again in these kind of relationships. If we are feeling constantly threatened, 
constantly challenged and constantly diminished or pushed away by a person like my friend is, then we are going to do things and implement strategies that lead us to finally feeling disconnected, helpless, and detached. If your goal in this relationship is just to survive it, there's no one saying you have to remain in relationship. Set the boundary to be a very clear message about how you want to be treated and whether or not that person gains access to you otherwise. In this instance, my friend is asking, how do I navigate the boundaries set for me without violating the boundaries and create healing for myself in this experience, right? And so it goes back to your core values are what lead you into relationship. If your core values, and this gets sticky, right? If your core values touch on any type of interactive behavior that is manipulative, controlling, uh, domineering, insulting, belittling, if any of your actions can be attached to that, then you are aligning yourself with a value that does not ultimately lead you to that open, aligned state where you can receive feedback, where you can offer feedback and create some repair in your relationship. Now, the complication here is, okay, let's say, yes, grief is on the table and there are maybe some personality issues, whether it's individual back and forth, like we just clash with each other. Maybe there's some deeper mental health issues or past trauma that's coming to the surface that one or both parties just haven't ever addressed. And that cannot be a point of judgment or condemnation on your part as the person who wants to approach the other person right? So I'll give you an example of what I mean. I have someone with extremely narcissistic tendencies in my story, in my world that I have set boundaries about. And it was a really long time before I recognized these are not co-regulating experiences for me. These are me regulating them and meeting their need, but mine are constantly not being met. And I'm trying different strategies to get my needs met. It's just not working. My decision then had to be a really tough one. Did I recognize grief in their story? A hundred percent. We'd talked about it many times. I had seen and witnessed trauma events in their life. I had been present through the grief process. I had heard stories of past grief and I knew it wasn't my role to fix it. I was never invited in as a coach and that's great. I didn't want to be, but there was a dynamic between us that was unhealthy. And I recognized the only way I can stay true to my values right now, which are authenticity, connection, fun, engagement, vulnerability, those things are not possible for me to experience in this relationship because there is a boundary violation on my part. I am violating my own boundary by trying to meet a need I haven't been verbally asked to meet, right? I was probably encouraged to meet this need and probably uh, felt like I was meeting a need because I was, but it wasn't the type of need that allowed for co-regulation, that allowed for reciprocity in the relationship. So for me, I had to say, okay, no, this is not, this is not working for me anymore. And I didn't go into the, it's not you, it's me. I simply said, the relationship we have needs to be reciprocal. We both need to feel valued. We both need to feel seen, heard, known, and loved. I do not feel I'm receiving that from you. And the way that I receive that well is A, B, C, D, E, right? List my non-negotiables in relationship. It absolutely created a rift, right? This was my 
boundary, but it was set from a space of ventral vagal system state where I was open, where I recognized this is going to create loss. I know this person isn't in a capacity to show up for me in a way that I'm asking. There is no reciprocity available in them and that is okay. I get to make a choice. Can I control their response? No. Do I lose access to a lot of things and people because I'm losing access to this person? Absolutely I do. I have to decide what I am willing to offer, what I want out of a connection. Now, going back to my friend's story, the same thing is true here. My friend has to decide what is it that you want? What are you willing to offer? How are you going to communicate that from a place of openness so that when, if and when, we will say, it does not go the way you had hoped, you can respond with gentleness, with understanding rather than accusation because it is the accusation that blows it up, right? That is where we get to that place of feeling helpless. What do I even do? What can I control? Not much other than myself. And really, how do we then move forward? So from that, taking the time to recognize, okay, these are external circumstances affecting my internal state. I am feeling helpless internally because the external circumstance of my family member are out of my control and it's causing harm. There are so many strategies we can employ to meet that need for connection and repair and co-regulation. But if we do not do it from a place of self-connection and openness, we will ultimately be just as harmful as the people we are hoping to bring healing to. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Restorative Grief. This conversation is not new. I'm sure there are a lot of things I said that you've heard in snippets or seen on Instagram and saved and hoped to go back to. This is your opportunity to stop and reset right now. I know we think that Instagram coaching is possible because we've seen all of these experts sharing details. And I know that you think, oh, well, I have read a book about this, so I'm going to be okay. Practice grounding yourself, allowing your nervous system to express what it has carried and come to an open place of connection is crucial for healing and for reconnecting with difficult family members. Again, whether they are grieving or not, whether you are grieving or not, you are still the base versions. Your true self are still in there waiting to be seen, known, heard, and loved. So how do you offer that to self? How do you recognize that space in self first before trying to offer that to others? It can be really difficult when you're grieving. And so as you go forward and metabolize this conversation and just give yourself some permission, I would encourage you to soften toward your expectations of yourself. You are not going to move a mountain if you are busy struggling to lift your own head, right? And so we decrease our expectations on our productivity and on ourselves as we grieve so that we are not perpetually disappointing ourselves and feeling even more helpless as days go on. 
I want to thank you again for being a patron and for continuing to support this work, staying connected with me on social media and here. It is the honor of my life to do this work. And I'm so grateful for every one of you who's here listening and supporting and partnering with me. Hope you have a wonderful day and hopefully the next bonus episode won't be so far away. Take care. Oh, and one last thing. As always, please remember, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.